The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Sutter, your host for today, and we are exploring today the intersection of social media and mental health for teens. And joining me for this conversation are two repeat guests. We're so happy they're both here. Dr. Suzanne Sampang is here with us. Thanks for being here, Dr. Sampang. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. And Dr. Brian Kurtz is also here with us. Thanks for being here, Dr. Kurtz. Thanks so much. Both Dr. Sampang and Dr. Kurtz are psychiatrists, pediatric psychiatrists here at Cincinnati Children's. And we have been hoping to get them both back in the studio with us um, for a little while now because I feel like this is kind of a connecting conversation with little bits that we've heard from some other topics that we've explored. And I really want to jump into this conversation um, kind of about social media with teenagers and how it impacts their mental health, starting on the positive side. And would one of you just kind of start with some of the the things that you see and understand in your roles um, and working with kids and what you see some positive ways that social media impacts kids and their mental health? Well, I can start. I mean, I, social media certainly lets kids create an online presence, an online identity. Uh, that ability to make those connections is really so important. It, building a social network at in person is important and for kids these days building a network um, online is also um, ever more important it's an opportunity for them to give and receive emotional support build a support network and also to share um, common interests like hobbies or um, maybe if they're going through a stressful time to get some support those are all i think positive things the other, I think, really important thing, particularly in our field, is that kids who are in crisis are increasingly reaching out electronically on social media when they're in crisis, particularly they f- they're feeling suicidal. And that's often mm-hmm. asking for help um, from other kids, and they're more likely to do that than to reach out to a caregiver or an adult. And that's a way to get those kids help. And so that's definitely a positive. Yeah, I I agree. And I think sometimes when I talk with teenagers about um, the way that they're using social media, they start talking about the common interests that they share with with folks like Dr. Sampang mentioned. And you can just tell that there's joy um, as they're talking about it because it's an opportunity for them to share some part of their identity that is Uh, very important to them, but for whatever reason may be more difficult to share in their day-to-day lives. And uh, in the online environment, they feel comfortable doing it. They feel supported doing it. It can be positive for them. I'll add one last thing that I just thought of is that, you know, it's a great place to have an outlet for creative Mm -hmm. self-expression. So I think there's lots of really great ways to do that. Um, online as well, in yeah. diff- 
different varying platforms. There's a lot of teenagers that I've talked to who um, uh, like to uh, create art in different ways. So whether they be visual arts or um, music or uh, writing, uh, fan fiction, things like that, um, where they've really felt like um, that's been a, a really joyful thing for them to do. Yeah, and I'd even love to expand on that a little bit further um, and ask you both what other types of um, kind of good can parents help their children do in these spaces? I'm thinking, you know, fundraising for a cause that's close to them, those types of things. Any other thoughts on how to help foster that good and those good ideas? I think that's a great example, like sort of building stewardship, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, those type of um, how do you contribute to your community that can often happen like via a GoFundMe or something like that. Um, I think by way of um, support groups, you know, particularly for I think of kids with chronic medical conditions of various sorts or patients who are differently abled who just maybe need to connect and offer sh each other support in that way, I think that can be an important um, mm -hmm. source. Mm -hmm. I also have um, talked to some teenagers who have reflected on being in certain spaces where um, there's, there's some individuals who are not being treated with respect or fairly, and part of their identity is to be an upstander. So kind of, you know, standing up for people in in an online space uh, mm -hmm. the way that, that they might uh, in person as well is a chance for them to kind of say hey you know no trolls here we're you know we are we're a community and we care about one another and we don't treat each other this way and to kind of establish kind of practice establishing a culture that's positive so I think that social media in general is just kind of powerful even though it's ever-changing like I think now we're sitting here in February of 2024 and the platforms that kind of make up that definition of social media are different than they were 10 years ago. And so there's all sorts of good things happening, but everything powerful can also be troublesome. And curious, just some overall thoughts about this intersection of mental health and social media for kids, for teenagers in particular. I've definitely seen that there are teenagers who have uh, encountered harm and distress as a result of their social media use. And there's probably several different types of ways that that's come about. Um, but I agree with you that you know it's, it can be quite powerful in, in people's lives and for the ways that we can be positive as we talked about it, it also really can um, have a, a pretty negative impact. One of the things that I see as being um, a marker of how uh, much distress it can cause for teenagers is when it is a very, very central focus of someone's life, um, that that is a, uh, that's a situation that's a bit of a setup for uh, negative outcomes as a result and for uh, the kinds of uh, interactions that they're having on social media to have an outsized impact on their mental health. 
Yeah, there was a study that was done last year. It was a national study that surveyed a bunch of teenagers and almost half of them, 46% of teenagers, said that social media actually made them feel worse about themselves, specifically their bodies. Um, more than half of them said that at least sometimes social media made them feel as if their life is worse than other people. So there's, you get that comparison aspect. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those same kids, though, in that same study also felt that social media helped them be connected socially and emotionally to other people. So then you get to that balance of good and bad. And so I think we need to be aware of the possible bad things that are out there and how, to, how do we mitigate those aspects and prepare kids um, to recognize them and uh, avoid some of the traps that are out there, but also maximize the good things. So would you expand a little bit on the, the traps that are out there and just kind of what are some of the factors that are at play in the thoughts and experiences that kids are having in these social media spaces? Yeah, well, some of that is the stuff that we've been talking about all along. Cyberbullying, we, we know, can, can certainly lead to problems with anxiety and depression, particularly for those kids that are vulnerable to that. But there's other things like um, the, that's content-related, so risk-taking behaviors that can be out there as part of the content, negative posts, mm -hmm. um, some of the negative social interactions. You know, a lot of um, kids that post out, out there, they're, they're looking for positive reactions, but sometimes those comments can be quite negative and that can be very deflating and have a huge impact on, on self-esteem. And then there's other things that I think might be really more related to just simply how much time kids are spending on, on certain platforms, which I think we know um, that the more time kids spend on social media, there's actually a correlation with um, problems with anxiety and depression. If they're using more than three hours, we know that the risk for anxiety and depression can go up. And if you're vulnerable to those conditions, I think it's even higher. Is that three hours per day? Yes. Okay. And the, you know, the, the way that these you know, apps and social media sites function is that they are designed to attract as many eyeballs as possible for as long as possible. And so that's not necessarily from the commercial side a consideration uh, that there could be too much, but like Dr. Sampang says, we, we know that for some folks it really can be too much and it can uh, cause all kinds of different problems interfering with the healthy things that we want teenagers to be doing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm thinking about is that there are also just, um, I'm thinking about negative content, There's there are algorithms that are built into applications. So, you know, I know my own personal social media, if I happen to look at, you know, I don't know, a purse that I'm interested in, all of a sudden on my social media, I get flooded with all of these ads about purses. <laughs> it's a little bit creepy, but this, those same types of algorithms are, are at play. Um, on platforms that kids use as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that type of influence out there. Um, I was also sort of thinking about, um, so 
some kids who struggle with problems such as eating disorders and self-harm, there are certain um, platforms that actually encourage unhealthy behaviors mm -hmm. um, and promote that, and that's particularly detrimental to um, their mental health conditions. What do you think would make certain individuals vulnerable to some of these negative effects in kind of these different realms of social media? I think it's, it's definitely true that um, some individuals are going to be susceptible to the negative influences of social media, sometimes in different ways. Uh, we would think that some individuals, for instance, for whom uh, a lot of their in-person social interactions are also, you know, very tied to their, um, to their uh, online interactions, uh, where the, you know, amount of interaction that they get with a social media post has big implications in their offline social life. Um, mm -hmm. There's also individuals who might be suffering from mental health conditions, which could be easily worsened by uh, certain um, aspects of social media, the way in which it can encourage some negative coping behaviors. One thing that we will tend to see is that um, when individuals are looking for support from other individuals who are also struggling, that support can be very positive or it could be very negative. And I've certainly had teenagers tell me that they found themselves more occupied by thoughts of self-harm or uh, unhealthy eating behaviors, because they were spending a lot of other people also consumed by those types of thoughts. So I'm curious if interactions like those where people will find themselves kind of around other people talking about the same things, um, like do certain platforms kind of lend themselves to different types of potentially troublesome interactions uh, so I, from what I hear from teenagers, I think that that is definitely true. Uh, one thing that I have learned uh, is that uh, I, as a middle-aged person, I will never be able to fully keep up with the latest ways in which <laughs> social story. media is evolving. Right. Um, so I really rely on the, um, the individuals that I talk to to tell me about how it is um, being used uh, in their peer groups and in their lives. And so I think what I hear is that um, some of the uh, social media um, that, so that involves um, private messages which uh, may, uh, you know, disappear after being viewed, that's, it's very common for that kind of thing to be used in uh, bullying behaviors where uh, there's a less accountability for sort of mean um, mean interactions that happen online. I think that's that's one example of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, in uh, online situations that are uh, sort of live chats that don't leave a trace that i've I've had talked to some teenagers who've told me that they can get into uh, discussions of unhealthy behaviors that seem to snowball a little bit as well, mm -hmm. um, which is you know just a little bit of a different kind of a 
of a, um, a situation than like a, a post on something like Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, I think some of it may also be re related to what are the most popular platforms and the ones that mm -hmm. people are using mm -hmm. the most. So right now it happens to be TikTok. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know that that can be a one that's one of the popular ones. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it can be a really entertaining platform to watch videos. But, you know, I think that can lend itself to some of that comparison of is my life as good as that person's life? Mm -hmm. And that can certainly lead to um, problems with, you know, low self-esteem or, you know, thinking that my life is not as good as everyone else's because you're comparing themselves to this idealistic or unrealistic situation. So, I mean, that's out there. You, you could maybe say the same for YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. Although you, and th both of those platforms, you know, if you're a poster, if someone's, you know, writing negative reactions to what you're posting, that, you know, I think can have a, um, a negative impact on one's mental health. I mean, the other popular one is Instagram, and I think that's where s we're seeing a lot of that influencer comparison mm -hmm. culture going on. I mean, we don't think that for kids, Facebook or X, formerly known as Twitter, is that bad because they just don't use those platforms, although they can be bad. Right. But they're not using they're them. They're not using them. So some yeah. of it is also just what what are the more popular platforms where some of those comment features or self-comparison features mm -hmm can happen the most. Well, and you had mentioned the word influencer, and that's just, it's such a, um, it's just a hot topic word. And influencers in these spaces are often making money. And I would love to explore that a little bit and how parents can think about helping their kids understand what influencers are doing in these spaces and how to watch for things. Um, I don't know, thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. I definitely think uh, anytime a caregiver is having a conversation about complex topics with, um, with their children, it's always good to think about developmentally what's, what's an appropriate way to bring up this topic with, with my child. So I think with a very young child, um, in some ways, you the conversation you might have is, oh, isn't it, you know, it, isn't it fun to see someone who is, you know, maybe having all of these cool experiences and um, everybody tunes in to see their YouTube videos and, um, you know, they seem fun to be around. Um, for a teenager, you might be able to have a more sophisticated conversation and say, like, Boy, the you know watching them, there's a lot about uh, what I'm seeing that really kind of draws me in as a viewer, and I also see that probably that's being used by some of their sponsors. What do you think about that idea? Mm -hmm. So I think some teenagers, um, you know, I I see them as very savvy and being able to connect those dots. It does not mean that they are not vulnerable to being sort of influenced by. Um, you know, by brands or by uh, by sponsors to influencers, but they are able to recognize that that's a component of things, and drawing that out from them sometimes can encourage them to see uh, 
their you know the the influencers that they may be you know viewing their their YouTube videos or their TikTok videos um, with a more realistic picture. Yeah, I think it's important for adults to be a, a sounding board about what's realistic and what is, um, you know, <laughs> how to maybe label when, you know, celebrities are doing bad things. Like, what do you think about that decision? I mean, it might be, I don't know, driving fast. It might be, I don't know, smoking cigarettes or, mm-hmm. you know, doing drugs or drinking. And I think it's a co- I mean, opportunity to help identify that as a bad choice, potentially, and, you know, that even though that they might be a, a celebrity or that, you know, sometimes people do bad things and make bad choices and that not to go down that rabbit hole. You just said celebrity, which makes me think celebrities have existed mm. forever. And... It's curious to me that maybe it's the intensity of the exposure to them that is making this difference somehow. Mm-hmm. And the access. Mm-hmm. I think that, that the influencers have so much more access to kids now. It used to just be a magazine mm-hmm. or a, a commercial. You know, it's it can be really constant. And, and kids just... You know, some of that, it's just mindless scrolling, mm-hmm. but they could do that for, kids can do that for hours and hours and hours, and the amount of content and imagery and things that come up, are, I mean, it's it's just right. huge. And varied, and I mean, it's just so many inputs to their brain over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. What are some scenarios that you have seen play out or that we understand could happen that parents should be aware of as they're helping their kids navigate these years of social media? Yeah, one that I can think of is is just around the whole um, beauty culture. Um, not too long ago, a, a friend of mine's daughter um, started talking about her facial regimen and it included all kinds of anti-wrinkle serums and discussion of whether they should use retinol and things like that and and it just sort of blew my mind because I thought you've got the most beautiful young elastic skin (laughs) that I've ever seen Um, and um, and that was certainly influenced by products that they had seen Mm -hmm. on social media platforms and so uh, I think really it, it led to a really good conversation about what are the basics of, you know, good um, uh, skin care, which is starts with, you know, hydration and washing your face twice a day and eating healthy. Right. So those types of things rather than serums and products and chemicals that cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars that certainly aren't needed in a teenager. Right. The, we need the 15-year-old version of skincare, not the 45-year-old version of skincare, because they're different. <laughs> yes, that exactly. Is, that is different. One and of the things that I've seen is that um, there are some uh, ways we talked about how uh, individuals who are maybe facing some struggles can find support with, with peers, but I also have seen um, situations where individuals um, are 
maybe feeling uh, a lack of connection and where they feel that they find a place of belonging is tied to an identity that's associated with a condition that may or may not really represent them. So um, I've definitely had a lot of patients who have told me, um, you know, I think that I have this condition or that condition. It might be ADHD. It might be autism spectrum disorder. It might be um, uh, tics, um, like uh, Tourette syndrome, and other tic conditions. And I think that the 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 silver lining there is that um, for many youth, mental health conditions or uh, neurodivergence is being destigmatized, which is a really good thing. But it also can mean that at a time in their lives where teenagers are trying to understand a little bit about who they are inside and also in relation to other people, that it can be confusing. And one way to respond to that confusion is to sort of present yourself as, oh, I have this condition, I have this problem. And so I think that's, that's something that I have seen in, in a few teenagers. And that role that parents play is actually kind of the next area that I'd love for us to talk a little bit about is what to do as a parent if you think that your kids are having some of these experiences or you start to notice that something's off, something's not right. Um, what advice do you have in that space for parents? First of all, I think recognizing when your kids might be struggling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about recognizing signs for depression or anxiety. But I think also if there, if you notice that there's a lot of maybe secrecy tied to their use, that's certainly a red flag that maybe something is going on there. Um, you know, the other bad thing that we didn't really talk about is some of the exploitative aspects of of some social media platforms and that it could be a, a way that for bad actors out there to access your kids. And so, you know, s- some of those red flags. Um, and then also it, the other thing is, is if if you're starting to recognize that it, they're, um, like kids are s- starting to get, you know, quote unquote un- addicted using more than intended, using despite negative um, consequences, they're unable to cut back, unable to sleep, it's disrupting sleep, those kinds of things. So noticing the red flags is the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then um, digging in and and trying to figure out what's going on. You know, if there's depression or anxiety going on, definitely trying to get help for it. And then if there's some of those other things, you got to first address the safety issues if there's some safety issues going on or if there's um, a problem with use or time spent trying to set some safeguards. Mm-hmm. Set those that. time limits. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kurtz, I know that you had um, mentioned to me before we got started some interesting sleep-related, um, yeah. it, like a sleep-related conversation that we should have. Yeah. An association that I see coming up over and over again is uh, between social media use and and you know, sort of electronics use in general, and sleep and mental health. And these things sort of impact one another. So for instance, one uh, way in which this plays out is that uh, individuals who are 
um, struggling with their mental health may have um, more difficulty sleeping. While they're having more difficulty sleeping, uh, how they have sort of come to experience what they should do when they don't have something else to do is to pick up their phone and to uh, look through social media at that point, which of course, as we talked about, it's designed to keep eyeballs for as long as possible. And uh, so there's no, there's potentially no end to that experience, which then means that sleep suffers and the quantity of sleep and there's studies that indicate that the quality of sleep, which is how much time that you're laying down that you spend actually asleep, Mm -hmm. um, that you're asleep suffers um, in a way that's associated with social media use. Um, And that, of course, then impacts mental health because poor sleep is a major uh, factor that can be its own uh, negative influence on mental health and uh, make it more difficult for people to sustain their energy and their mood and their interest in things that are more healthy for them to be involved in. So I think all of these things can kind of lead to some negative cycles, um, especially when teenagers don't have a good sense of how important it is for them to be able to preserve and protect their sleep and prioritize it. And they may not see that modeled very well for them in their peers um, because what they see is that their peers are texting and posting at all hours of the night as well. And so it seems like the thing to be doing, but, you know, some individuals uh, are are going to, you know, suffer more than others um, when that happens and, and have a hard time being able to kind of recognize that they're, they've fallen into some bad patterns. Yeah, there's that whole FOMO aspect of it, mm-hmm. the fear of missing out, and what if I miss something? The words protecting and safeguarding came up in that conversation about what parents can do. So what are some of the like practical steps that parents should be taking when their kids first have access to social media to set appropriate boundaries? Are there tools? Are there apps? Are there things that you found or heard from families that you work with that help in that realm of protecting and safeguarding? I think it depends a lot on the kid because I think that there's a wide, wide spectrum of what happens on social media and with electronics that teenagers have that spans the gamut from normal and healthy to, you know, perhaps not super well advised, but within sort of normative or or pretty common limits to really scary. Mm -hmm. And so I think depending on the teenager in question, the degree of uh, oversight that is needed can vary quite a bit. Dr. Sampang and I, you know, will sometimes see individuals where it really can't safely be utilized by this individual at all to be having unsupervised access to electronics. That's not the common experience of teenagers, of course. Um, But I think many uh, parents um, will be well served to first start with trying to have a conversation, right? And to say, you know, as a part of my role as being your caregiver, as being your parent, um, is to kind of talk to you about this stuff. I know 
that probably it's not your first choice to do this, but it will be helpful for me to understand um, a little bit about how you use your phone. What, you know, when you're, when I see you, you know, on your phone, you know, how much of that is you're in text threads? How much of that is you're on TikTok? How much of that? Because for me to just have a sense of what you're doing on your phone will help me to better understand, you know, maybe some other conversations. Lots of teenagers won't be super excited to have that conversation with their parents, of course, but I think that um, one of the things that it does is it sort of establishes your position as a parent that, like, I'm interested in this and I have a legitimate interest as your parent. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that I'm coming out of the gate swinging saying like, don't do this, don't do that. But more, I would like to understand what is happening on social media and and, um, on your phone. And uh, because it will help me to be able to understand your life and aspects of your life that I'm not seeing as up close. What are your thoughts on connecting with, and I want to come back because I I would love to explore a bit more about what parents (laughs) can do, but the idea of connecting with people you know and people you don't know, and is there value in having that specific conversation with kids or setting boundaries around that? I think there is a lot of value, and I think it also can vary quite a bit. Some of it's based on age, right? So, you know, a 17-year-old most 17-year-olds have a much more sophisticated sense of what would be the pluses and minuses of interacting with people that they don't know online um, compared to, say, a 13-year-old or even younger than that. Um, and so, uh, and some of it may be the kid, right? How, or the, you know, the, the, the child, how, how able are they to see something that would be a negative thing for them coming in the distance and and to be able to kind of anticipate. Again, many teenagers are actually quite savvy in this Mm -hmm. area and they're able to navigate situations pretty well. But um, I do think that having uh, conversations and to some degree, um, you know, setting some expectations that, you know, if I as a parent am, am worried about you, um, then that's going to mean that there's there may be you know more supervision and more sort of boundaries upon how you're using your uh, your social media or your electronics in general. Maybe that's the amount of time you spend. Maybe that's the apps that you have access to mm-hmm. or the websites that are blocked or things like that. And those are very personal decisions, I think, for a, a lot of families. But I I think it can be gen- uh, a a good general rule for parents to be able to kind of set that set that out you know maybe you know as as their children are first getting access to electronics and phones and you know potentially setting up uh, social media accounts to kind of say I don't plan to be looking over your shoulder and spying on you but I may become, you know, I may be worrying about things uh, as your parent and wanting to have conversations with you about it. And that's some of the ground rules to us being able to let you have some freedom here. I like that thought. Yeah, Dr. Sampang, additional thoughts? Yeah, um, I have a, a, one thought is, is, you know, we want to really teach kids about digital literacy and being a good digital citizen. And so I think 
at whatever point families decide to allow their child to enter this world, that's when the teaching and education starts. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's about, you know, how to understand what's out there and, and, and be out there in a safe manner in a digital world, first and foremost. But it's also just how do you be a, a good citizen and act responsibly and respectfully um, in an online space. Mm-hmm. And so the, those are really basic things that I think you teach really at even at a young age when they're just starting. And I think taking into account that where they are developmentally you know, a five or six year old on TikTok, I would hope that the parent would know what they're watching, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because even the content that's labeled okay for that age may not be okay for that kid. And so, but as you get older, you know, the the parents may loosen the reins some, but they're, you know, when you do that, the kids at that point should have more critical thinking skills to be able to discern what's what's real what's realistic what's not what's healthy what's not and and we should have a good sense that our kids have the ability to make good decisions in that space before we allow them to go into that space that makes sense makes a ton of sense and i think that that kind of the growing up there are additional stages and loosening the reins is a great way to put that yeah i mean it's really ultimately about how do we teach them to make good decisions um Mm -hmm. We want them to foster genuine connections mm-hmm. in the online world, and we want to use use the online world for good and not evil. Yes. And so um, ultimately that's what digital citizenry is about. The American Academy of Pediatrics has a really good um, site, uh, a page on their site that, that talks about this and helps families develop um, a media plan Okay. So it's rules for the whole family, and it you know kind of helps set the ground rules around time, whether they charge downstairs or whether they're not. You know, mm-hmm. how do you build in that no screen time? And we certainly recommend like meal times, homework time, bedtime should be a no screen time. Actually, an hour before bedtime, mm-hmm. because we know that that blue light can affect sleeping patterns. But Every family plan is going to look different. So I think every, you know, that's a good way to start if you don't already have some of those ground rules. I think um, when you set boundaries like that, it's reasonable to expect um, that the initial reaction is going to be, oh, man, like, why do we have to have these rules? But I think that that's something that, you know, parents and children have been navigating in other ways uh, for, you know, for, for, for many, many years. And so uh, I think to kind of recognize that just because there's some amount of resistance to having rules, the truth is that in most cases, kids understand that rules are going to happen and to some extent why they're needed. Um, and so uh, they'll, you know, the usual tactics are, but my friends don't have these same rules. And so, you know, you got to see that one coming and be prepared for that and take it in stride and say, I, I understand. And we feel that 
you know, for us to be good parents, these rules are important. And, you know, for us to feel like we're, we're doing a good job of, of kind of protecting you and supporting you, this is what this looks like, even if you don't agree with them all the time. If I had a dollar for every time I've said different house, different rules <laughs> in response to <laughs> yes. something. What well, then I maybe did? you could do that like extravagant TikTok trip. That <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. If I had a dollar every time. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you both so much. We have you've been incredibly generous with your time. We appreciate it. Do you have any final thoughts or anything in this space that we didn't have a chance to talk about that you want to make sure we get in as we close out our episode? I think the thing that comes to my mind is that this is, you know, again, for many, many years or for as long as there have been parents and children, parents have had to handle challenges that are associated with that role of being being a parent. But um, this is a new world and this is a new set of challenges some of which we understand well and we're coming to understand and research is helping us to understand. And some of it we don't understand very well. I think as a parent to give yourself some grace, but also to kind of say it is better to be active in this space as a parent, even when you feel um, hopelessly out of touch with whatever is happening in your child's, you know, social media or digital life. It is better to be um, in the room as a part of the conversation with uh, the kid, how, with your kid, however awkward that feels, than just to say, throw up your hands and say, well, I don't understand it all and I'm just going to hope for the best and walk away and avert my gaze. I, I think as a parent, um, even when you feel a little bit at sea, it's better to uh, be trying to uh, be a positive influence in your child's life this way. Mine would just be that, you know, as we're setting up these um, expectations and roles for kids, that we be good role models for them and adopt the same types of things that we're trying to teach kids about being good digital citizens and healthy habits. I feel like that's a consistent theme that comes up in so many of our podcast conversations. And social media can be tough for parents too. I'll admit it's hard not to be influenced sometimes. And I, I love that as a way to wrap us up is it's okay to be vulnerable and to say, yeah, this is hard for me too, but we gotta do it. Mm -hmm. yep. yep, absolutely. You're both amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Young and Healthy. We'll see you next time. This episode was recorded on February 9th, 2024. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. This episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris. And our theme music was created by Stephen Greco. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.